Good morning, everyone. I hope you're all all right. I'm glad this time I get a passage with, with less names and um, <laughs> more, more content. Um, yeah, it's good to be here and to um, share with you again. It's a privilege uh, to share from God's Word. And today we're going to be reading not many verses, but um, I think these verses are full of, full of truth and full of important things. So please open your Bibles to uh, Genesis 15 if you haven't already, um, and stay there. It's not much, uh, it's not many words, but um, yeah, just stay there so you can test everything that I say against the Word of God. And yes, I pressed record, yeah. Um, And if you don't have a Bible, just put your hand up and I'm sure we can get a Bible to you. Oh, wow. Nice, everyone's got a Bible. Um, Good. Let's turn to Genesis 15. 1 to 6. Um, We're going to read it again because I've got it out here, just so we have the passage in our minds. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield, your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I can continue childless, and the heir of my household is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, This man shall not be your heir, your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven, and number the stars, if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. So we go through this verse by verse, and make some applications to our lives as well. Uh, Verse 1, it says here, After these things the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield, and your reward shall be very great. So if it says here, after these things, so obviously there's some um, stuff that happened before. If you were here last week, then you would have heard from Ben um, that Lot had gone to live in Sodom, or by Sodom, and by that time he lived in Sodom. He was the righteous one living in a place of sin and being tormented by the sin in the city. And yet he stayed. Then uh, the king of Sodom and four other kings decided it was a good idea to rebel against their overlord, whose name I'm not going to say, but he was the king of Elam. I tried reading it and every time I read it, I read it differently. So I decided just to call him the king of Elam. Um, and so this king obviously got annoyed with it, um, rallied a few of his allies, three allies, and um, they attacked and overpowered Sodom and uh, their friends and led them into captivity. Abram then went and um, chased this guy up. And with only 318 trained men, they managed to overthrow um, the king of Elam and re- rescue all the um, captives. And then Abram comes back and meets Melchizedek, who is a foreshadowing of Christ, or we call it a type of Christ. So he's pointing towards Christ and is blessed by him. And then he refuses the, um, the gifts from the immoral king of Sodom. Um, so the king of Sodom wouldn't proud himself in making Abram rich. So that's all the stuff that happened last time. It was a lot, a lot of um, different things that happened. And today we find Abram most likely back at the Oaks of Mamre. That seems to be like his place, his campsite. Um, he's about 85 years old. And still quite strong, as he, you can imagine, he went after 
an army and managed to rescue his nephew and others. And considering all these things that have happened, it wouldn't be surprising if Abram was a little bit afraid. He had just gone and rescued, like basically defeated four kings who were powerful to defeat five kings and just with 318 men. And surely they were coming after him. Surely they were making plans of getting revenge. And the place he lived was by the trees, by the oaks of Mamre, in tents. He didn't live in a city. He didn't live in a um, stronghold. So he, he had just tents. It was a campsite with no army and just a few, or not a few, quite a few soldiers, uh, not soldiers, servants. And um, how would he defend himself? It's one thing to surprise an army by night and to overthrow them, but a completely different thing to defend yourself against an army. So you can imagine him being afraid in this situation. And into this situation, God speaks these um, famous and familiar words, fear not or don't be afraid. And it's the first time that God speaks these words in the Bible, in recorded history. And it wasn't that God said it to Adam when he exiled him from the garden to say, don't be afraid. It's okay, I know nature's wild now, but you, you're fine. It wasn't even to Noah, who had to face a worldwide flood in a box, wooden box full of animals. And it wasn't to the descendants of Seth when they dispersed at the uh, Tower of Babel and were uh, hunted and maybe attacked by other guys like Nimrod. And it wasn't to Abram when God said to Abram and Ur, get up, leave your family and leave. Not even in Haran when Abram's dad died and they moved on. But it is now that God speaks these words. The first time that Abram encountered violence and was threatened by somebody else, that God comes to him in a vision and speaks to him. And these words, fear not. And also, it's, this passage is full of new things. So if you were a first-time reader of the Bible, the stuff that's happening here is all new stuff. So it's like a complete game changer, almost like an overload of, of new information. So this is also the first time that God shows himself in a different way. So far we've read the Lord spoke, God said, and so on. So God spoke to Adam, Adam to Cain, to Noah, to Abram as well. But he always spoke. And here it says, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. And that's the only time this phrasing is used in Genesis. I don't know what it means. I assume it's a bit different from just the Lord spoke, but it's, um, it's a very unique situation. And God speaks these calming and assuring words to Abram, who surely needed to hear them. He says, fear not, I am your shield. What a promise. God himself would be Abram's protection. What else would Abram need? God Almighty, the one who spoke the world into existence and the one who destroyed the world just by a word, with a big flood, and then by his word dried up the land again so that it, it was livable. He would protect a, uh, Abram from his enemies. And God's not just finished by giving Abram protection. He honors Abram's commitment not to take anything from the worldly king of Sodom by promising Abram a great reward. So in this verse here, it's, there's two ways of reading it. it some people say it's, it needs to say... Um, Abram, fear not Abram, I am your shield, your, great, uh, your reward shall be very great. Others translate it with, I am your shield, your very great reward. 
But it doesn't matter which way you turn, take it around, whether it shall be a great reward or it is a great reward. It is a great reward and Abram would end up with great riches and great reward. And it's quite impressive, uh, important, I think, that God says it here. Because just a few verses before in the last chapter, Abram refuses to take earthly perishable wealth from an earthly king. And now the king of eternity is offering him and promising him eternal and imperishable wealth. So Abram didn't ask for any reward of, uh, for, for the rescue of the people of Sodom, but God here promises him a reward, or gives him a reward. But he doesn't, know, doesn't say what he's giving him the reward for. So let's go to verse 2. There's a few questions that I left you there with. You can ponder. It's good to ponder the word of God. Um, verse 2. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house will be Eli is Eliezer of Damascus. So the last time that we know that God spoke to Abram was in Genesis 13, 16. And he, was, he told him there, Your offspring shall be as numerous as the dust of the earth. And Abram didn't forget that amazing promise. But despite all the trying of becoming pregnant, there was no success. In fact, they've probably been trying to get pregnant for 50 years. If you look at Abram being 75, they married a bit earlier. So Sarah was about 10 years younger. So probably about 50 years, I can, uh, well, we can assume that they've been trying to have a child and they weren't able to. And God had promised Abram in Haran when he was 75 years old that he would give him a land and children, a whole nation. And now we're thinking like 10 years from that promise, still nothing. Sarah is still barren. And Abram is disappointed um, in, yeah, in the, that this promise hasn't been fulfilled yet. And so he's already made plans about his future. His um, servant, Eliezer of Damascus, would possess all his earthly possessions. And the word that Abram uses here in Hebrew for, um, for heir is not the typical word you would use for an heir. It's a word that is used uh, that can be translated as a possessor of something or just somebody who gets something. Um, a few Bible translations like the King James Version read a little bit different and make, make this distinction there. They read, um, King James Version says, the steward of my house is Eliezer. And the American Standard Version says, he that shall be the possessor of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. So he's not speaking about an heir necessarily, like a, an heir that comes from him, but it's, well, somebody has to have it, and this is the way we do it here. It will be this guy. And yet in all his desperation and his sadness, he's still very respectful to God. He addresses him with Lord God, or Lord, Lord, Adonai Yahweh. Um, and is very much aware of God's supremacy and um, God's rule over everything. And we see a, a pattern that we've seen here before. God says something, but Abram thinks. I think it was Owen who spoke about God's, God says to Abram, do this. And Abram thinks and makes up his own mind. It's when Abram went to Egypt. God had said, go to, go to Canaan. There was a famine. So Abram thought, oh, I'll go to Egypt. God said, but Abram thought, and it seems to be a thing that continues through Abram's life, and not just Abram's life, I, I know it from my own life as well. So God had said to Abram, I'm, I'm going to make you into a great nation, and Abram started making plans. 
of how this could work out because obviously his wife couldn't get pregnant. And then we read verse 3 and it says, And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. It's almost as if these two verses are the same thing. And I think whenever we see in scriptures a parallel like this, or um, it invites us to ponder it, to think about it, to look at it. Maybe there's some similarities, maybe some differences, maybe some more um, nuances that we need to find out. And if we look at this, these two verses here, you, can, you notice quite quickly that the first time he speaks with, O oh Lord God, this time he just says, Behold, look. And just the way he speaks, I continue childless. And here he says, You've given me no offspring. And um, we see that God has, a, uh, not God, but Abram has a different attitude in this verse. Um, this is not just Abram being sad about not being able to have a child. But this is him being hurt, and this is him being accusing of God. This is real fighting talk. He's actually, he's taking God on. There's no respect. He says, behold, or look, can you not see what's happening? You have given me no offspring. And where else, what, what does the language remind us of? It reminded me of um, Genesis 3, of man's, man's fall, when God comes to the people and then Adam, in his blame shifting in Genesis 3.12, says, The woman that you gave me, the woman that you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit and I ate. And here it's not you gave, but you didn't give me it. It's man accusing God. It's not my fault. It's your fault. It's not my fault that I don't have a family. You haven't given me it. It's not that I haven't tried. I've been doing my best. And oftentimes as people we think, I'll, if I'll try my best, God will do the rest. And we, we like working stuff ourselves out. And so as if, you can imagine Abram saying, yeah, I've tried my best, so where, where's, where's the rest? Where, where's that? What do you want to do? Obviously you don't keep your promises, God. I didn't even, Abram didn't even ask for a child in the first place. Abram never asked for, for a country, for, for a nation. God came to him himself out of the blue and said, I will give you a great nation. I will make you a great nation. I will give you a country. And you can see where Abram is coming from. He's not happy with God. He's shaking his fist at God. He's angry with God. He says, you've given me all these promises, yet you haven't come on, uh, through on any of them. And surely if God wanted to Abram and Sarah to have kids, it was about time because they weren't getting any younger. Abram was about 85 and Sarah was 65. And then Abram continues his approach of, if you can't sort it, God, I will sort it out. He's not patient and relying on God to move when he thinks that it's right. And the word that Abram uses here is air. It's not the same word that he used in verse Sorry, I, I don't have my verses down here. In verse 2, it's, it's um, the word that he uses here. Um, one of the members of my household shall be my heir. It's actually the word that is used for heir. It's the one who will rightfully possess what is, what is mine. It's the person who rightfully gets the inheritance, not just somebody who is just there. An inheritance in those days worked a bit different from today. So like, if you don't have any children today... You can just um, write a will 
and then pass on your money and your legacy to some kind of charity. They didn't have that back then, so you had to pass it on to somebody, which would most likely be somebody in the, one of the children of your ser servants. And here we know that it's Eliezer of Damascus who would um, receive all the stuff that Abram had. Verse 4. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This, sh this man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. Here we have God's answer to Abram's complaint or even Abram's com uh, accusation. God doesn't lash out on Abram for Abram being disrespectful. He's patient. And he's about to reveal a little bit more of his plan for the future to Abram. And God reassures Abram that it's not going to be his servant who would be his heir. God keeps his promise all the time. And God keeps his promise to the, to the deliverer, to be, to be bringing the promised deliverer through uh, Abram's line. Um, Eliezer of Damascus, just a little bit to, well, he's from Damascus. So we can conclude from that that he was from the line of Shem as well. I don't know if you remember talk weeks back when I heard all these million names. Um, God promised that through Shem, there would be um, a deliverer provided. So Eliezer was most likely from that line, but he wasn't from the line that Abram came from. He was from um, another line, from the sons of Aram, who would become the Arameans, and their capital was Damascus. So it would be kind of almost the right line, but it wasn't Abram's descendants. It wasn't Abram's children who would, or it, wasn't Ab it wouldn't be Abram's child who would have inherited all this. And God makes it very clear to Abram, this one shall not be your heir. That's not the right line of um, heritage. The, your own son will be your heir. God says, your very own son shall be your heir. And literally he says, the son that who comes from your insides will be your heir. It's Abram's flesh and blood. God promised Abram that through his offspring, the whole earth would, shall be blessed and not through some kind of servant that he had. And God is precise with his words. He made languages and he's the ultimate communicator. Verse five. And he brought him outside and said, look towards heaven and number the stars if you're able to number them. And then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. It seems like this conversation was taking place somewhere inside, maybe inside Abram's tent and it was at night. And maybe Abram was talking to God and just pouring out his heart to God and saying, look, it's been so long, you've said this, so what's happening? And God comes to Abram and speaks to him in a vision. And now God takes Abram outside and says, come on, let's get outside and have a look at the stars. And I wonder if you've ever been in a place where there's no light pollution at night. It's just dark, and the only thing you see is stars. And it, it, is, it is amazing. It is an incredible, incredible sight. Um, I remember, that for some reason, that's one of the memories that I have really edged in my mind. Um, I, was probably, I was about 10 years old. It was the Football World Cup 89 in France. No idea why that is important, but it is <laughs> it's just edged in my mind. Um, I, lived in, oh, I lived in Germany with my family. And um, I believe the whole village, maybe the whole area had a power cut. 
So there was no lights anywhere. And uh, my dad took us all kids, we were five kids in the family, so my dad took all those kids outside, um, probably to just relieve some stress of my mom, who's, I assume, trying to make food or so without any electricity. But he took us outside, and I remember going outside, and we were just looking at the stars, and that was the first time I saw the Milky Way with my own eyes, because it was so dark everywhere around. Um, and it was just incredible, and the longer you look up, the more stars seem to be appearing. You try counting them, and it's just impossible, because... It's always a new star, and then you, did I count this one? Or, well, I thought there was a star, it's gone. And it's just, it's just incredible when you look at it. And you can imagine Abram going out, and God says, look at the stars. I'm just looking up and thinking, yeah, well, I've been out here many times, and you imagine back then there was no cities. Not like today, anyway, you didn't, wouldn't have all the light pollution and air pollution, so you would have seen stars. And maybe you'd sat outside many times and looked at the stars. Can imagine if I if I lived in that time, I would have sat out a lot and looked at the stars, and maybe he's wondering like, what is God, God going to tell me about the stars? And just looking up, and then God tells him, count the stars. And I imagined Abram going one, two, three, four. Oh wait, was this one there before? Oh, there was none there. I can see one there now. So he, he can't count them, and he doesn't even need to tell God that he can't count them. God knows he can't. Nobody can count them. And um, I looked up today, uh, yesterday how many stars there are in the universe. So there's about two trillion galaxies. That's just galaxies. And um, I'm going to tell you the number. I can't imagine it. I don't, I'm not sure you can imagine. If you can, that's quite impressive. But um, the estimate that they have at the moment is 206 trillion stars. I have no idea how many zeros there are after the two. <laughs> So if you know, then if you can tell me somehow, I, I'd appreciate it. But yeah, I, I probably wouldn't remember. It's just a number that we can't imagine. And uh, when we go outside today, in most places of the area uh, of the world, you can see about 6,000 stars unaided, like when just looking up without a telescope. In some places, you can see up to 9,000, supposedly. And you can almost see God telling Abram, start counting. Abram's just looking there, God waiting, and it's quiet. And then God says, so shall your offspring be. And this is the second time that God gives Abram an object lesson of how many kids he will have. The first time is back in Genesis 13, 16, when he says, as many as the dust of the earth shall be your offspring. And it's obvious that God doesn't give exact number there, because then we could count all the dust on the, on the earth and we could count all the stars in the sky and we'd have the same number. I don't think it's about number. I think God is just trying to tell Abram, look, I'm going to make a nation from you so vast and so big that nobody can count it. And um, we'll find out later that it's not only Abram's children who are from his own descendants, but it's also those who believe God who are his children. And uh, there are people in this world today who wouldn't identify as Christian because that would mean a certain death. There are countries in this world where you can't be a Christian. There are places in this world where we can't make statistics of how many people there are. So how are we going to know how many Christians there are? How many children of Abraham? It's impossible to know. And God gave Abraham this amazing and great promise that of a very great people that would come from him. That's the third time that God gave Abram this promise, that a nation would come from his um, flesh and blood. What would you do if you were in Abram's situation? 
The first time God promised this was about 10 years ago. Abram has been trying to get Sarah pregnant, or they've been trying to get pregnant um, for probably about 50 years. God's already told him two times, I'm going to make a big nation out of you. If somebody comes to me and tells me a promise, like Ben said earlier, all these different promises, and for the, second, for the third time he's giving me the same promise and still hasn't delivered, I'd say, you know what, just go to somebody else who's more stupid than me, they might believe you. But just move on. I, I can't be bothered with this. You keep telling me and I, yeah, I don't believe your lies. And um, let's consider the next verse, what it says that what Abram did. It says that, and he believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. Again, as I said earlier, this, this text is full of new ideas for the Hebrew reader. Um, it's the first time that we read about believing, belief or faith in the scriptures. Abram believed God. This, this passage just has so many new things. It's like the fear not is for here for the first time. The way God shows up to Abram is a very new and um, different way. And here again, a new concept, faith. And Moses writes, Abram, believes, uh, Abram believed. And the Hebrew word for believing, of faith, is aman. That's basically our root word for us when we say amen at the end of our, our prayers. Um, Jesus used that word when he was teaching. Like um, in John 3, 3, he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And every time we read in the scriptures, truly, truly, or verily, verily, Jesus said, Amen, 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 Amen. So he says, this is true, this is true. And the word means, um, carries the meaning of um, support or confirming something. It's got to do with um, truth, with verity. And another time that Moses uses the word is in Genesis 42, 40, when Joseph sends his, son, uh, his brothers back to his father, and he says, well, unless you can verify that what you're saying is true. Uh, I know that you can verify that what you're saying is true, that you're not spies, but bringing your brother to me. And so, um, well, we know a lot about verifying these days. Like every account that you make, you have to have two, three verifications on it and all this. So this is God. He, it's about truth. It's about I am actually who I am. And we read that Abram believed. That means he confirmed what God said in his heart and he leaned on it. Um, I remember one of the Bible translators um, from our mission said in their language, the word, they didn't have a word for faith, so they used to hang on to something. So you cling on to something, you hang like on a string. And there's diff many different ways how you can explain it. And Abram considered God to be trustworthy. What God said was true. He leaned his whole life on it. He trusted God's word that he would provide an offspring Oh, he would provide offspring as many as the stars. Abram believed the Lord. And um, I thought a little bit of the concept of faith. And it's not your integrity or your intensity of the faith or strength of faith that is crucial. That doesn't really matter. The important thing about faith is the object that you place it in. The thing that I have faith in is more important than the actual strength and size of my faith. And I've got an object lesson here for us as well. So we've got a crutch here, hope I can make it stand, and a, string, a rope, 
So, and this is, this is just faith. You can pick whichever one you want that you, can, um, you want to trust. Um, let's just compare these two. Are they strong? Whoa! Looks like it. This one's not breaking. Let's see. It's, it's either I'm weak or this is strong. I think it's the second. <laughs> uh, let's just check the rope. Yeah, I can't, I can't rip it. So these are both strong. Suppose um, I've broken my foot. If actually, I have broken my left foot a few years back. And yesterday, um, preparing this, I practiced and I got a cramp in my foot. <laughs> it's really awkward, so I'm hoping it's gonna, not going to happen today. But my feet are a bit warmer here. So, if I want to stand upright, I tried getting it in the right um, height. Yeah, that's about the right height. Let me get the right height here too. Yeah, around about. So it both reaches the floor, it's the right height. I want to stand up now. So I can decide which one I'm gonna, I can have really much faith in this. I, I'm, I'm sure I can hang on this and it would hold my weight. But let's see if I can stand up straight for a long time with this. Would you like me to lean on it? I'm sure you all would and would laugh if I fell over. But uh, as you can imagine, it's not very strong. So I have a little bit of faith in this. It's, there's some plastic, a little bit of metal, some engineering that went into it. But do you think this can hold me upright? I can lean on it. I can, I can actually, this way I got the crampy last time. <laughs> I, can, I can actually lean on it with my full weight and it supports me. And that's the kind of um, idea behind faith. You can lean on something with all your weight, with all your, um, with everything. And just like that, Abram leaned on God because he believed that God was faithful. Because he knew that God is true. God is trustworthy and he keeps his promises. So now the reader has learned the concept of faith. What is faith? Faith is leaning on something, on, um, on someone. How does God react to Abram's faith? That God, uh, Abram thinks God is trustworthy. It says here, and he counted it to him as righteousness. Again, a new concept. I believe that's the first time that righteousness is used in, in the scriptures. And um, I've been thinking about righteousness and it has been, I've been molding it over in my head. Righteousness is not something that you can earn. Righteousness is only something that you can lose. There's one slip up and your complete record of righteousness is broken. We learn in this passage that righteousness before God doesn't depend on your ability to be righteous. It doesn't depend on the record that you have with the people around you of how righteous and how good you are. God's righteousness can only be credited to, some, or to the one who believes. And God's righteousness is received and not earned. If we think back to all the way back to, to the beginning of Genesis, God made Adam and Eve and they were righteous. They didn't do anything wrong, so they were righteous. But they were only righteous until they started not believing God, until they started believing Satan, the enemy of the souls. And they lost their righteousness. 
And here Abram is credited righteousness for believing God. Nothing changed in this moment. Sarah didn't, or wasn't pregnant all of a sudden, or didn't wake up to nurse her child. They didn't have any children yet. It would be another 15 years until they would have a child. But Abram leaned on God's word. And Abram went about life and about having kids and preparing to be a great nation, leaning on God's word. And maybe Sarah, at some point, she was just annoyed with him and said, Abram, let's just stop. This is no point. We can't get pregnant. Just let's, let's, just, let's, just, let's just give up. It's just being stupid. But Abram kept believing God and trusting God, and God counted, him, counted it to him as righteousness. So what a passage to find in, in the beginning of the Old Testament. And if you know the Bible a little bit and read this passage without knowing where it came from, it doesn't sound like an Old Testament passage. It sounds very much New Testament. It's not the Old Testament that we imagine as Old Testament. But God never changes. God is always the same. He has always been the same and he will always be the same. And there's quite a bit in the New Testament that we read about this passage. We actually got one of the greatest theologians of all times speaking about it in the, uh, in the New Testament. And it's Paul. And um, we can t- if you want to turn to Romans 3 and 4, I'm just going to give us a quick overview of that. That's basically Paul's commentary on this passage. Um, yeah, Romans 3 and 4. I'm just going to pick out the, the points that I th- think are important and then read a part of it. So um, Paul starts by showing us that no one can reach God's perfect standard, regardless of your heritage or your knowledge of God. He goes on to say that righteousness before God is something that can be, uh, it's not something that can be earned by keeping all of God's law, because nobody can keep it. And a few weeks back, we, we saw that nobody can actually even keep the Ten Commandments. If we look just at the Ten Commandments, we'll find ourselves... Um, guilty of at least one of them. God's perfect law only shows us our shortcomings. And it's not a means by which we can reach perfection. If we break the law, if we break one law, we break the whole law. It's like um, a bubble that you just blow. As soon as you touch the bubble, it goes pop. The whole thing's broken. It's not just, oh, there's a little dent in the bubble. And that's the same with the law. God wants us to be righteous, so God wanted us to become righteous so he could be with us because he loves us and he made a way outside of the law, outside of the law that condemns. He found a substitute or he made a substitute to take the punishment that we deserved by breaking the law and punished in our stead Jesus, the perfect son of God. And now we don't have to keep the whole law anymore to be righteous because none of us can be righteous. And just as Abraham, we can only be righteous if we believe, and God counts as righteousness to us. Abraham discovered that he wasn't made righteous by what he'd done, so he had nothing to boast about. It was all God's wonderful doing. And I'd like to read a passage to you, just a few verses here, from Romans 4, um, from 8 to 4. Uh, 4 to 8, sorry, not reading backwards. Romans 4 from 4 to 8. Now the wages of the worker are credited as a gift. Are not cre- oh, wait, let me read again. No, now the wages of the worker are not credited as a gift, 
but as an obligation. However, the one who does not work, work, but believes in him who justifies the wicked, his faith has credited, is credited as righteousness. And David speaks likewise of the blessedness of the man to whom God credits righteousness apart from works. Blessed are they whose lawless acts are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man whose sins the Lord will never count against him. How amazing is it that we, we can have our sin and our guilt removed by, just by believing God. All it takes is a little humility, understanding that I can't do it myself and clinging on to God and his promise. I need to believe that God does tell the truth, that he always keeps his promises. He is not a liar. And then I'd like to read um, Romans 4, and we'll continue from 13, and read to 25, and I've taken this from, uh, from the New Living Translation, because it's a little bit of an easier read than um, the ESV, and it's maybe easier for us to understand the, the um, line of argument that, uh, that Paul is taking. So Romans 4 from 13. Clearly, God did, God's promise to give the whole earth to Abram and his descendants was based not on his obedience of God's law, but on a right relationship, on the righteousness with God that comes through by faith. If God's promise is only for those who obey the law, then faith is not necessary and the promise is pointless. For the law always brings punishment on those who try to obey it. The only way to avoid breaking the law is to have no law to break. So the promise is received by faith. It is give, given as a free gift, and we are all certain to receive it, whether or not we live according to the law of Moses. If we have faith like Abram's. For Abram is the father of all who believe. That is what the scriptures means, mean when God told him, I have made you the father of many nations. This happened because Abram believed in God who brings the dead back to life and who creates new things out of nothing. Even when there was no reason for hope, Abram kept hoping, believing that he would become the father of many nations, for God had said to him, that's how many descendants you will have. And Abram's faith did not weaken, even though at about 100 years of age, he figured his body was as good as dead, and so was Sarah's womb. So when he was about 100 years of age, he had his first son, or his um, Isaac, the promised son. And we continue reading in verse 20. Abram never wavered in believing God's promise. In fact, his faith grew stronger, and in this he brought glory to God. He was fully convinced that God was able to do whatever he promises, and because of Abram's faith, God counted him as righteous. And when God counted him as righteous, it was, wasn't just for Abram's benefit that it was recorded. It was recorded for our benefit too, assuring us that God will also count us righteous if we believe in him. The one who raised Jesus, uh, him, or if we believe him, the one who raised Jesus from the dead. He was handed over to die because of our sins and he was raised to life to make us right with God. <coughs> the promise received by faith is a free gift. It's not something that we work for. In verse 23 and 24, he, uh, Paul says here that it wasn't only written for Abram, well, I think it was probably written after Abram, so it didn't benefit Abram anything. But it was written for us. So we know that if we believe the one who raised Jesus from the dead, then we, 
will have righteousness credited to us. If we believe the one who spoke the universe into existence, the one who spoke to Adam, to Noah and to Abram, he is the supreme judge and ruler. And Paul writes to the Galatians as well about Abram's righteousness, telling the Christians there not to try and go back to the law and try to earn God's favor and grace, but just like Abram did, just believe because that's whose children they are. And then one of Paul's uh, contemporary, James, wrote a passage about Abram's faith as well, and it's a passage that we are very familiar with. It's about um, where, where James says, faith without actions is dead, but actions without faith are useless. He used Abram as an example of what lived out faith means. So we'll read that in, um, in James. It's James 2 from verse 20. It says, O foolish man, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is worthless? Was not our father Abram justified by what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? There's a spoiler there. Um, you, just, uh, you see that, this faith, uh, that his faith, faith was working with his actions and his faith was perfected by what he did. And the scriptures was fulfilled that said, Abram believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. And he, called, he was called a friend of God. As you can see, a man is justified by his deeds and not by faith alone. So this seems like a contradiction at first, but true faith always is followed by action. James explains that God, how God did count Abram righteous when he first believed, but faith always becomes visible by action. Abram lived by faith. Abram and Sarah got pregnant, and that wasn't just some kind of miracle. Um, God asked Abram later to sacrifice his own son, and Abram went and almost did it, but God intervened and provided a, uh, a substitute. But he still believed God in all of this. And I wonder how my faith shows in my own life. And here's maybe a little example of um, explaining how and why faith without deeds is dead. So imagine you're on the motorway and suddenly here on the radio, the bridge that you're about to cross is collapsed. If you believe the message, you will stop and try and turn around and maybe warn other people that are on the way, still speeding along the highway, or the highway, motorway. But if you don't do anything, you hear it and you don't do anything, you don't believe, unless you have a death wish, which some people do and it's sad. But that's how faith shows. Faith shows in our actions. So if I believe the message, then I will do something about it. If I don't believe it, I won't do anything about it. And let's just summarize, I'm coming to the end. Um, in the beginning, Abram had just saved Lot from four powerful kings and was probably scared of them. He'd met Melchizedek and was blessed by him and he refused the gifts of Sodom. And then we read the passage for today and it says, after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is, is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and the member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and number the stars if you can, if you are able to number them. And then he said to him, 
so shall be your offspring. And he believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. So just a few takeaways that we can take from here. God gives comfort when we need it. He gives it individually and always relevant to your situation. Abram shook his fist at God, but God didn't reprimand him for it. God understands us when we're upset with him. We don't always understand his ways and sometimes we are hurt and angry with him because we didn't get what we were expecting. And Abram could have given up here and he could have chucked the baby out with the bathwater and said, you know what, it's all over, I'm going my own way. But he didn't. He listened to God when God replied. God replies to our concerns, our accusations, our complaints, our worries. He gives great promises and Ben said how many there are today, just over 7,000. And it's good for us to learn those promises and to believe them because God is trustworthy. God counts faith as righteousness. Righteousness can't be earned once it's lost. And some things to apply to our lives. Our first application would be, be encouraged. God knows you and he comforts you. Don't be afraid. The one who created the universe just by speaking loves you and he wants to be your shield and your great reward. And what greater reward can there be than being friends with the king of the universe? Our second application, bring your complaints to God. If you have complaints against God, bring them to him. Don't just let them fester inside of you. He can take it. He's, got, he's strong enough. Even if you need to deconstruct the stuff that you've built up in your own brain, thinking, oh, this is what faith is like because it makes me feel better. Come to him. God can take it. God can take questioning. God can take accusations. He's strong enough to handle any attack. <clears throat> and he's patient and gentle and interested in you and your situation. He wants to hear from you. Third application is listen to God. And once you've done ranting, open your ears and listen to God. Because he's got something to say to you. Read his word, find good godly counsel, seek his face and he will speak to you. He is the author and um, inventor of communication. He's the ultimate communicator. He speaks clearly. <coughs> Sorry, I've got something stuck in my throat there. Our fourth application is believe him. Lean on him with everything in your life. God is not just a crutch. I brought a crutch because I needed something to carry. I could have brought, I don't know what, like a house or something else. It's a bit too big. Lean on him in your life, in your marriage, your job situation, your finances, your future, every little silly detail of your life. Lean on him. Don't lean on anything else. Remember, it's not the amount of faith that is crucial. It's the object of your faith that determines whether you stand or not. And God says in his word that the only way to become righteous before him is by believing him. No amount of work or showing up at church, giving food to homeless people, any outward self-denial will be counted as righteousness before God. The Bible says all our good deeds are as dirty and filthy rags in his eyes. God says that those who believe like Abram are in his family, and that means there's another family too. And that's the family of the, uh, where the father is the enemy of the soul and he is only harm for us in his mind. And we'd be doing good to um, pick up God on his offer of salvation that he gives us. Sorry, I went just in time. Let me pray. Our Father, we thank you that you are good and faithful and we want to take Abram as an example. 
we want to be open and honest with you about our, um, about our hurts, about our pain, but we want to listen to you as well, and we want to believe you and trust you, because we know that you are trustworthy, you are faithful, and you are good. Amen.